welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Last week, uh, I saw one of the most ridiculous headlines maybe ever, and that's really saying something uh, in this world. There are always ridiculous things, and usually it's clickbait, and I think this is really no different. But here was the headline. Scientists fear zombie deer disease could spread to humans after first ever case of the fatal brain virus that makes animals drool and unafraid of humans was detected in Yellowstone National Park. So there you go. Now we have the deer zombie disease that is going to kill us all. They're going to, a deer, I guess they're going to start attacking us now and make us into zombies. So that's 2024 for you right there. But I started thinking, it's like, this sounds a little familiar to another animal disease that once dominated the headlines of the 90s. Anyone remember that? Mad cow disease, that's right, mad cow disease. It's decades later, but the same old stories that seek to drive fear into people still exist. The same headlines, just recycled under different circumstances. And Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 tells us there is nothing new under the sun. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. This is like a survey. Um, This is not like a major, major deep dive of the book. Um, So there's a lot to say. Ecclesiastes says a lot of different things. uh, It can be kind of difficult uh, to understand at times. But we are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of those things it says... Uh, is that there is nothing new under the sun. So as we come into this new year, yeah, we expect new things, we make resolutions, but every year is very similar, if not the same than the year before. Certainly, yeah, different things happen. We experience lots of different things every year, but there are, it's the same in that there are highs and lows. We will go through highs and lows. There will be times of strife and of joy, This year, we will have anticipation and disappointment. And it's an election year, so every four years, we get the repeating uh, election cycle. There's going to be all kinds of hype around it, uh, division, you name it, we've got it. And it's the most important election of our lives, as we've heard, and that'll be fun. (laughs) So every year, every four years, just same things repeating There'll be new fads and trends, so whether that's in social media or daily life, fashion, you name it, new fads and trends, things come and go, things repeat, hairstyles that were, you know, should have been left in the 80s, those have come back lately, you know, it's crazy, some of the things I look around and see, especially with kids, I'm like, like, what happened, like, you know, I thought we left that behind, but they have come back, there is nothing new under the sun, life seems to just repeat itself in those ways. But some people may find that comforting because of its predictability. People like the predictability of life, uh, even though there are highs and lows. But others may be filled with anxiety as they know this means there's going to be struggles in life. That, you know, maybe they're going through a good time and they think, well, this isn't going to last. This isn't going to last forever. And Ecclesiastes confronts us time and time again with difficult sayings. I mean this in two ways, sayings that are both tough to understand or sayings that might be a tough pill to swallow. And I'm not drawing a one-to-one comparison here exactly, 
But that is very similar to the parables of Jesus. This is how Jesus often spoke in this way. And often the hearers, they either didn't understand what Jesus was saying in the parables, or they did, and it made them uncomfortable. In Ecclesiastes, it's not exactly a feel-good book of the Bible. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think this will make you uncomfortable when you read it and meditate on it. Uh, if you are in a hotel room and you grab a Gideon Bible, um, I don't know if you go to the section that says, like, you know, go to, you know, if you're feeling this way or thinking about this, go to these passages. I, I didn't look, but I, I'm pretty certain it doesn't say in bold letter, if you're depressed, go to Ecclesiastes. It probably does not say that. It won't tell you to go read Ecclesiastes in those situations. Ecclesiastes is a sobering book. But we all must come to grips with the reality of experiencing life in a sinful and fallen world and the reality of eternity after our bodies return to dust. In the meantime, how do we understand what life is all about? So here are some of the key themes of Ecclesiastes and themes that I'll be working through uh, in this message this morning. The vanity of life, and what does that mean? Sin and death, the joy and toil of work, enjoying good earthly gifts from God, and finally, eternal purpose and the fear of God. I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes, uh, and there's going to be a lot of scripture reading this morning. Um, from the book, but I'm going to start by reading Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. And hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will, will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So point number one, the vanity of life. All is vanity. That is a refrain throughout the book. But how should we understand it and, and understand that phrase? This doesn't mean that all life uh, is vanity as in meaningless or without purpose. That's, I don't think that's what this is saying. We often associate the use of the word vain and vanity uh, with phrases like, their efforts were in vain and meaningless. That's, real, that's we so often associate vain and vanity with m things that are completely meaningless. And that's not quite exactly what is being communicated or said. I think there's an element of that, but that's not primarily what is being said. It rather describes the things of life as something that is fleeting and elusive. 
everything in this life is temporary. I think that's a lot more uh, of the message, that things are fleeting and elusive, and that life and the things of life is temporary. The harsh reality of a sinful and fallen world. Because of a sinful and fallen world, things are fleeting. Everything is elusive. Life is fleeting. And all the pursuits of life, they come and go. Some things are always out of reach. The joy people so desperately desire, it seems to be elusive for so many. It's like trying to catch your shadow or Peter Pan trying to catch his shadow. Next point, sin and death. In this sinful and fallen world, we experience death and the effects of sin. And especially, we are the ones who are active in rebellion against God. Chapter 7 in Ecclesiastes verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And verse 29 says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In our sin, we seek after other pleasures rather than God. This is what it means to have idols in our life. Uh, that we seek anything else. That sin is seeking anything that is not the things that God would desire us to seek in Him. So what is the source of all the vanity for mankind? It is seeking after the things that are fleeting rather than God. That is the source of the vanity of life. And everything, it is fleeting compared to the eternal God. And how about the joy and toil of work? And here we'll spend a little more time on these next few points. The joy and toil of work. God, in His wisdom, in His great wisdom, gave us work. And this goes originally all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Work for Adam, it was without pain and toil before the fall. Recall the curses in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve, after they had taken of the fruit and eaten, that the serpent said, take and eat, and you will not surely die. And then the curses are pronounced in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, the serpent's curse is that um, the head of the sun will, will crush, or the, the heel of the sun will crush the head of the serpent. So the serpent will be crushed. That's his curse, along with being on its belly in the dust. The curse for Eve is pain and childbearing and delivery. And for Adam was his curse. It is this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Work. As we all know, it is filled with toil and frustration. But it can also be something from which we gain great satisfaction. And we probably all have experienced both sides of that spectrum in life. Now, you may have a time where, I mean, you cannot stand your job or the things you're doing, and, and there seems to be no satisfaction ever. But I think for most people, the part of, of work is you experience both sides of that. And... Uh, from that is the, the wisdom of God and His goodness and then the effects of, of sin and being in this fallen sinful world. Right now, I'm, uh, I'm doing a, well, actually, pretty, I'm like 99.9% .9 done with the home project. There's just some touch-up uh, uh, touch things to, to finish off. But it is, uh, and it was filled with lots of pain and frustration. 
Now, most of it I always find very enjoyable. I like the carpentry, the framing, all, all that kind of stuff. Great, I can get my mind, I can put my headphones in, listen to some music, and just be in the zone. This is enjoyable, I like it. But that feeling was fleeting once it came time to do some uh, drywall and mudding. And uh, that, that part is not fun. Has anyone ever done drywall work? Oh, man. If, and there's lots of things. You can YouTube all kinds of stuff and, and learn all kinds of things. And it's pretty simple. That takes some skill. Uh, that takes some real skill. And I, it was like my really first time to do some of that. And it was very challenging. And there was a lot of pain and frustration in that toil. And the joy, it... It was fleeting doing the things uh, that I liked, and now I'm on this, and now it's just frustration. I'm, you know, getting angry at things aren't going how I want them to go, and it's difficult. And that is how work is. Work can be that way. But sure enough, I finished, and man, oh, this is great. Here it is. It's all done. And again, joy on the other end. But the thing is, there's always going to be more work to do. There's always going to be another project to tackle. There is always going to be laundry to fold. I've thought about that so many times when I bring my laundry to my closet. I'm like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. There's going to be laundry to have to fold, shirts to hang up forever until the day I die. There's just tasks like that in life. You're going to do them forever. And laundry is one of those things. I don't dislike it. It's just the thought of like, this never ends. But in work, there is great honor and dignity for work that is pleasing to the Lord. When we work for God, there is satisfaction and joy. Work is a blessing. Not just because it provides money for us to live, and that can be part of it, but because it gives us structure and purpose in life. And sometimes, if you're depressed, you may need to work. That may be part of it. I'm not saying that is it. I'm not saying that's the only solution. Uh, I'm not a counselor, I'm not giving exhaustive advice, but sometimes you just need to do something, you need to get active, you need to work, put your hands to something, and do something meaningful that is functional and provides enjoyment for others or for yourself. And so the last three winters, as I've like done these projects around the house, these, you know, they're overall, you know, they're fairly simple home improvement construction projects, but Part of that is because they help keep me occupied during the winter. The older I get, the more and more I dislike winter. And the early sunsets and just, you know, it's dark, it's cold, it's dreary. And it's like, man, winter is depressing. And doing these things, a part of the reason I've done them is like, I need stuff to do to keep me occupied. So I'm, I'm not letting my mind wander. I'm not you know, fill in the winter blues, things like that. It, that's a big reason of why I've done these things. And, you know, it improves our house. It makes Beth very happy when they're finished. Uh, I, you know, I, to, you know I, am, I need to ask for forgiveness to my wife for the frustration I feel during projects that she receives the brunt of, which she does not deserve. Um, but on the other end, we have this project that's done, but part of that is I just need some, I, I need some of that, release in work, and that is a blessing from God. And so God gives us these things as a means of common grace. And again, that may not be the only thing you need to do if you're feeling depressed or whatever, but that might be a start. 
is get active, do something, work with your hands. Because it is God's grace and His common grace in creation. Go and do work and do it for the Lord. Do it unto the Lord. Next, enjoying good earthly gifts from God, which often comes from work. Let me read a passage. This is from chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. I hated all my toil in in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. I mean, that can be a fear. You work your whole life, you, you provide a good living, and you have an estate, and oh, if I leave it behind, just, it's going to be gone in one, two, three generations. I mean, that's basically what he's saying here. He says, this also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. We work all day, counting down the minutes till lunchtime or until the end of the day. We work all week long, ready to unwind by waiting 45 minutes at Texas Roadhouse. We work all year long for a few weeks of vacation. We work our whole life, and after 30 years of monthly payments, you finally outright own a home. That's how life seems to be, just waiting for the next thing, but... Don't we love all those things? Work is hard, but the Lord gave us some amazing chicken that we eat at Chick-fil-A or Cane's or you name your favorite place or a sandwich. I like Jersey Mike's. Their sandwiches are so good. Man, that's, those are good gifts from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we pray, right? We, we, play, we pray a blessing over food because we say, Lord, this came from you. Thank you for these good gifts. And sometimes you just got to say, Thank you, Lord, and like, we need to mean that. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this delicious food. Man, those are just the small things in life, just small common graces that I think the author of Ecclesiastes is reminding us about. And when we get to Texas Roadhouse, those wonderful rolls and honey butter. I mean, mean, this is just wonderful, wonderful stuff. I love food. Uh, You guys probably know that. And I could go on forever when it comes to those things. And God gives us those special nights out, right? He gives us those special days and special nights where maybe it's a night at Malone's or Giuseppe's or maybe a really special occasion. You go to a place like Jeff Ruby's or Tony's. And those aren't everyday. They're not everyday occurrences. But those are common graces the Lord 
can give to us. God gives us a vacation road trip to Gatlinburg or to the beach with our families. Kids crying in the back seat. But he gives us the unforgettable special trips where, uh, where we just have those memories that last a lifetime. And there's other times, you know, we take a vacation and it's things that we'll not only remember forever, but just for a few days, we're able to truly unwind, not have a worry in the world, and those things melt away, if only for a little bit. It is God who gives us the special moments in life, like signing closing papers on your first house, and sleeping with the mattress on the floor the first night. Man, those are some special moments in life, are they not? Those are good days from the Lord. And they're things that are, you know, around material things, right? But these can be good blessings. All these good gifts uh, are from the Lord. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good. And He shows us His goodness in many ways. Sometimes that is through physical and material things. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7 through 10 says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Lastly, the eternal purpose and the fear of God. Perhaps the most famous passage in all of Ecclesiastes is found in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Let me read. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. All of life's most meaningful and significant experiences summed up into, eight, into this eight-verse proverb. Our lives are incredibly fast and fleeting. If we only seek wisdom for wisdom's sake, we will be unsatisfied. Chapter 1, uh, at the end of chapter 1, uh, it says this, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That is one of those passages like, 
wow, the more wisdom, earthly wisdom I gain, the more sorrow I am going to feel. Wow, thanks a lot. You know, you read that, and you're, just, you know, you're left thinking, well, what is this about? What do we seek after? If we only seek pleasure for pleasure's sake, we will be left unsatisfied. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You read a passage like that, and this, apply, this can apply to anyone in any situation, and we're so prone to doing this. But we've all heard the stories or the proverbs of people who, they seem to have it all. They have great earthly wealth, and there's always something next that they're seeking after. I think really what happens is the super wealthy, it's just on another level, but we can do the same thing. I think I'm guilty of it. So many of us can be guilty of that. Where there's something new, there's something next to chase, chase after. So it doesn't really matter your economic status. And we like to maybe point to the, the billionaires, and, you know, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and those sorts of people and think, man, well, I'm glad I'm not like that. But we can do the same. But if you are just always seeking after the next thing, taking no rest in the Lord, we will be left unsatisfied. That is the danger and the trap of just seeking pleasure in the earth and earthly things. We ultimately return to dust. Chapter 3, verse 20 tells us that, that you will return to dust. And again, what was it in Genesis chapter 3? That Adam will return to the dust. Our lives only have their meaning in fellowship with our Creator, for which we must be reconciled to God through Jesus. That is how we find our meaning in this, in this life. That is how we find satisfaction in this life when all the, the fleeting things of this world, even the good gifts from God, they ultimately will not satisfy us. Only the Lord satisfies. And that happens through reconciliation to God, through Jesus. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Apart from Jesus, we will live our lives in vain. Apart from Jesus, our lives will be in vain. Seeking and striving and grasping for anything to give us enjoyment, fulfillment, joy, meaning, and purpose, you will be chasing after a ghost that will not be caught. But we can chase after the Lord and secure abundant life that lasts for eternity. I close with this verse. This is Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. But from there, you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart, and with all your soul. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks.
and praise for this morning and for your words, God, that in a world that is full of elusive things and uh, elusive meaning, material things, immaterial things, God, that if we are striving and seeking after them, Lord, uh, Lord, we will never catch satisfaction. We will never find joy and fulfillment the way you have meant us to find it in Jesus. But if we seek after you above all things, above all else, if we chase after you, Lord, Lord, by your grace, by your mercy, we can find you. And Lord, it's not so much that we catch you, Lord, but Lord, in our seeking, Lord, you, you, you find us and you run to us as a, as a father runs to the prodigal son. Lord, and we know that all of your sheep, you cannot lose from your hand, Lord. So as we cling to you, Lord, you cling even tighter. God, we give you praise. May we see this morning all the good gifts in life, they come from you. May we see that life, it is full of great joy. And Lord, in, in the small things of life, uh, in so many details, Lord, you are there, you are present, you are blessing us, God. But ultimately, may we find all of our joy and our comfort in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time we're going to move into our time of invitation. I'll be standing up front. If you need to trust in the Lord, if you examine your heart this morning, you say, I don't have Christ and I am seeking after fleeting things, meaningless things. I do not know the Lord and when I die, I will be under judgment. I, I will face judgment when I return to the dust, and I will not be present with the Lord. This is your time to respond. So also, if this is a time for response, if you need to come pray, uh, you can do so at the altar, you can do so at your seat. If you want to join the church, uh, maybe you're here to join the church this morning, this is a time for you to respond as well. Um, this is a time the altar is open, and uh, may we just give it to the Lord. Let's stand together, we will sing footsteps of Jesus.